Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good morning, and soon to be good afternoon. Welcome to SACPA. We're going to get started in good time because uh, we have a, a very interesting topic and a very interesting presenter, so we want to start early. I'm Mary Shillington, and I'll be your moderator for today. Um, as you know, we've got a few housekeeping things to uh, remind you of. Well, the first one, of course, is turn off your cell phones. Uh, I've already done mine. Um, the the session will be recorded as, as normal, uh, and Shaw uh, is one of our, um, our our partners, and we really appreciate that they broadcast on Sundays at 4.30. Remember, there's the basket there with your $11 waiting for you to give the $11 for your lunch, and somebody please uh, count it before it's picked up. Uh, we're a volunteer organization, and... Uh, uh, memberships are available, so you can see Dan or Lisa as, as she's around t- uh, to get a membership. Uh, we thank the U of L for their support and distribution of our notices, country kitchen, kitchen, country kitchen catering uh, for the lunch that we'll receive, and which is always good. And the Herald and other media people for for looking at being here and uh, covering our events. We uh, will have, uh, because we're starting in good time, we'll have 30 minutes to hear our, our, uh, our presenter, and then we'll have lunch and the question period from 1 to 1.30. So I have, this is a really interesting topic, and, and judging from the numbers we have here, other people have decided this is very interesting, and we have uh, uh, Dr. Sandra Harding here to present to us on secularism, multiculturalism, democracy, and the philosophy of science. And the question is, what's the relationship? And she said to me that she's presented this in various times. It's going to be a chapter in her book that's to to uh, be submitted shortly. And um, she's presented it a number of times and, and really likes to have feedback from people. So I said, oh, don't worry, you'll get feedback from this group. So, so she's looking forward to that. She is, uh, like, she has to be at least 90 because she's done so many things, but she's not. So, so she, she is a professor of education and gender studies at the University of California, Los Angeles, and she's also a philosopher. She has lectured at over 300 colleges and universities and conferences in five continents. See what I mean about how she's done so many things. She uh, is an author and an editor of 15 books and, and special journal issues. Um, so she, she is really, we're, we're very fortunate to have her here today. She's, she's going to have a very interesting talk, and, and I'll invite Dr. Santa Harding to come up and present. Thank you. It's an honor and a great pleasure uh, to get to um, share this material with you. And I have to tell you that it's a special nostalgic pleasure to get back to Alberta because I wrote my dissertation in 1972-3 in Edmonton when my husband was visiting in the uh, philosophy department there. And my children knew all the verses of Alberta Bound, (laughs) They were quite the envy of 
um, their friends in Edmonton, who in fact didn't know all those verses of it. Okay, um, you, there's a handout, which is um, a very tiny bibliography for this talk. There should be a bunch of them in the center of your table. Um, I, I, don't, I don't suspect you're going to read nine books on secularism, but the, the topic is so odd to many people that I thought it would be helpful to see the kinds of materials I'm using. I actually made this up for the uh, university audience um, this evening. Okay, what I want to do here is to examine what I'm calling the secular stance of educated Westerners and look at what its effects are on uh, my field, uh, the philosophy of science, but also on the ways we think about multicultural democracies. And I'm aware this is an issue in Canada right now, <laughs> no less than in the United States and many and around the globe. Of course, we want the separate, official separation of church and state. We want the state to be the, the federal government, to be fair to people who come from many different cultures. That's absolutely, I, I'm absolutely in agreement with that. But how we think about that seems to have been very sorely tested, at least since 9-11, uh, if not since the Crusades, uh, by the increased presence of Muslims and of Islam in the West and the rise of Islamophobic discourse, Muslim-hating discourse, uh, requires a lot of thinking about how, how to respond to it. Um, and so uh, discussions have been going on in a variety of places, and that reading list uh, gives you uh, a number of them. Um, in particular, in the U.S., the Social Science Research Council, SSRC, uh, which is a national organization, excuse me, I'm sure, there it is, um, has been, if you look up SSRC online, uh, you'll find a couple of blogs uh, that address these issues and conferences and, and books, and uh, several of the books on this reading list uh, have come out of uh, conferences that SSRC has held. Uh, I put an asterisk in front of one of them, which is particularly interesting, uh, The Power of Religion in the Public Sphere, edited by Eduardo Mendieta uh, and a colleague. Um, and this is a debate between Jürgen Habermas, the German philosopher and sociologist, Charles Taylor, who I think is one of your own, isn't he, a Canadian philosopher, Judith Butler, who has done some very interesting work on anti-Semitism and around the Israeli-Palestinian uh, relations, and Cornell West, who some of you... Uh, probably know of. He's a very distinguished um, African-American philosopher uh, and theologian. Uh, but there are many other uh, interesting, interesting works here. So that's uh, some of the material I'm drawing on. Okay, so uh, here's what I'm going to do in 25 minutes, and I'm going to try not to start speaking real fast so you can't understand the thing I'm saying. 
but simply saved parts of this discussion for uh, the question period, I hope. And Mary's going to give me some signals. Um, so I, first I want to talk about um, um, science in the public sphere, then about how it turns out there are multiple secularisms, not just one. Um, third, about how Western secularism turns out to be Christian and Protestant. That is, secularisms turn out to be always constituted within religious, specific religious legacies. Um, and then uh, talk about bad effects that the secularist stance has had because it hasn't been understood. So I'm, I'm not against secularism. I'm against this particular stance, a secularist stance uh, that we uh, is just endemic in academia. It's kind of a twitch. People say negative things the minute one says anything positive about any particular religious beliefs uh, or practices, and certainly many of them deserve negative responses. Uh, but um, there's a more attempted, far more thoughtful discussion going on, and I want I'm hoping to um, make some little contribution to that. Okay, so first of all, multiple secularisms. Um, well, um, Protestantism could be regarded as the first Western secularism, yes, um, because it um, gave various duties and privileges that had been reserved for the Roman Catholic priesthood to members of the laity. Um, so... To be non-observant as a, a, a Protestant or a Catholic is very as a Protestant, a Catholic, a Jew, a Muslim, is very different in each case. To be a non-observant Jew leaves one still a Jew, <laughs> but a non-observant Jew, right? Claim, claiming to be a non-observant Jew. Um, there, there are different kinds of things one won't do because of the particular way the religion is uh, constituted, uh, but there are legacies of uh, values and interests that remain, and it's that gap that's interesting to me between uh, being non-observant and being a non between a non-observant and still a Jew, okay, or Catholic or Muslim. Um, so we can see, if once we start thinking about this, how secularisms are always constituted within particular religious traditions, right? Protestantism was a secularism of the Roman Catholic Church, you could say, of the time, right? Though it had its own sets of practices, and we have secular Protestants today who don't do. So I am a secular Protestant. I'm not a secular Jew or Catholic or Muslim. There's, it's a very different configuration of what one does and what one doesn't do. Um, so to get to one, just uh, uh, foreshadow one end of my discussion here, um, the, uh, the emergence of, uh, of Protestantism came along alongside the emergence of modernity in the West, right? Modernity uh, wanted to, uh, with its science, right, and eventually the Enlightenment, uh, rejected the idea of an enchanted world, 
right? The world, nature was not inhabited by supernatural spirits for modern science. At least modern science was not, has not been interested in causal accounts that attribute uh, efficacy uh, to non-material um, entities. Um, and so, um, so this, um, uh, so science has been part of the public sphere from its beginnings. The, the, the beginning of modernity separated the public sphere from the private sphere, right? It pulled, modernity pulls institutions out of families and kinship groups and into the public world. So in the medieval world, economic relations were determined within the kinship group. Think of the royalty, right? Think of Shakespeare's plays if you want. Political relations were determined within the kinship group, education, um, and religious and moral positions. You can see discussions about this formation of modernity going on now about the Middle East, right? Complaints about how difficult it is to get the newly liberated citizens of pick your Middle Eastern uh, Arab Spring country to identify with the nation rather than with the tribe, right? To, to have a loyalty to the federal government in Afghanistan or, and, or Iraq rather than to their kinship group. So you can see this discussion about the painfulness and difficulty of shifting from tradition to modernity going on right now in discussions about um, the Middle East. And modern science emerged in the middle of that kind of transformation uh, in Europe. And so modern science is supposed to be in, is in the public sphere, right? It's part, uh, it's not private. The processes of um, investigation are to be publicly scrutinizable. We're also supposed to be able to repeat the, uh, the experiments and observations of other scientists. They're not supposed to be privately owned by a priestly group, right? They may in fact be privately owned by a quasi-priestly group, namely the copyright holders and funders, but that's another matter we'll take up in another time. Um, so you, what Western science has very much prided itself on its secularism. It holds this secularist stance. Um, now, um, let me at this point move to briefly to... Um, what I mean when I say that um, Western secularism tends to be Protestant, definitely Christian and even Protestant. There are three, three kinds of ways you can see this. First of all, religious or spiritual experience is considered a matter of faith. It's considered a proper, something that individuals experience, and it's supposed to belong in the private sphere. This is in contrast to religions where religious and spiritual experience is a community activity that's about community ceremonies, community rituals, in contrast to where uh, religious and spiritual experience is a collective experience, not an individual, primarily an individual experience. It's a community 
experience. And in contrast to um, where instead of being in private life, uh, as uh, is supposed to be the case in Protestantism, um, it's very much a public life. It's ceremonies and rituals through the streets at certain times of year. It's not that no elements of this older uh, and different um, way of thinking of religious and spiritual experience. It's not that they don't aren't part of Christianity and Protestantism. We have our rituals and our ceremonies and our Christmas Eve services and so forth. But they're not st- they're not supposed to be state functions. They're supposed to be within the private sphere. Religion is supposed to be within the private sphere. Um, so, but critics have argued that in fact in the U.S. And I won't presume that what is said about the U.S. is generalizable to Canada. Okay, it may not be. Um, That within the U.S., Protestantism tends to disappear into the structure of the state. Um, So it's a Protestant state, but the coins say, in God we trust. Right? And Congress opens with a prayer. Right? What becomes visible as religions are Judaism, Catholicism, Islam. Protestantism is harder to see as a a set of religious practices. It it looks more secular, so to speak, than even the um, secular practices of people of other religions. Um, Now, what Western secularism misses... um, What do I have, five minutes? Ten minutes? Go, terrific. Um, this Western secularist stance misses a number of things. Um, First of all, it tends to be used as a justification for various forms of racism. Um, And I'll just talk about my own profession, uh, discipline, philosophy, um, where the debates are are epistemological and, and metaphysical ones. Does God exist? And how does one know if he does or doesn't exist? And these kinds of questions are actually irrelevant to the way many people experience, uh, have religious and spiritual experiences. And it ignores and dismisses the importance of religious and spiritual experience and the church to to huge recent liberation struggles, such as the role of the black church in the civil rights struggle in the U.S., Martin Luther King, was a pastor and very much used, uh, he and other churches used. The church was welcoming at, at a time that no other institutions were to organizing. Liberation theology in Latin America was consistently set against autocratic and um, oppressive regimes that were busy wiping out uh, indigenous peoples. I mean, there were plenty of uh, li- Catholic uh, nuns and priests who were murdered in the course of Uh, struggles in in Latin America. And for philosophy to make no space for these kinds of concerns that Latinos and African Americans have is to say, your concerns are not important. They're not relevant to our discipline. Um, I'm drawing here on uh, on the uh, reading list uh, you have on Shannon Sullivan's um, very, it's the last one on the reading list, uh, very interesting Uh, article that appeared recently. Um, The secular stance has also been used to justify colonial violence 
other cultures' uh, re refusal to become to get, become Christian, to get baptized or whatever, has been seen as a threat to the rationality, uh, the um, and civilization of uh, Western societies. Um, it. Uh, Westerners have seen um, those folks, people in other cultures, as savages, as pagans, as uh, having nothing but superstition and magic, uh, as ignorant, and as a threat to Western rationality and to civilization, and have again and again used it as an, uh, the secularist stance as well as the religious stance, of course, um, as a, a justification for the kinds of uh, violence that they have committed on other people. Um, it also blocks, in, in thinking about Western science, it blocks our perception of secularism as a specific cultural force on modern Western science. Um, I, secularism is usually thought of, the secularism of science is thought of as the absence of a cultural effect on Western science. But historians have always talked about the importance of Christian religious belief to the advance of modern Western science. The ones who write about the, uh, the, the uh, you know, 16th century talk about how everyone was believed, educated the uh, beginnings of modern science believed that the reason to do experimental method was to understand God's mind in even greater detail. And because God had created, the Christian God had created humans in the image, in his image, human minds, nature's order, which God, Christian God created, and God's mind had similar enough structures to give Western scientists the confidence that they could understand nature's order because our minds were made by the same great mind that made nature's order. And that kind of confidence, or what has sometimes, uh, to other cultures sometimes is seen as arrogance, but to historians of Western science is seen as confidence, uh, was a huge boon to the growth of scientific knowledge. And indeed, I mean, I'm talking about the 15, 1500s and 1600s, but there was a story on the National Public Radio last week. I just I, I was half asleep. I woke up and jotted it down because I realized, wow, terrific. It turns out the Vatican has a huge selection of meteorites. Did anybody else hear this story? Huge selection of meteorites, and there's a curator of the meteorite collection in the Vatican, which began with a gift from a wealthy collector of meteorites a century ago or something like that, and has been expanded ever since. Scientists visit it and so forth. And so NPR was interviewing the curator for the meteorite collection in the Vatican. It was an interesting informational discussion. And the, the, curator, ins the um, curator insisted um, that uh, the, the reason why the collection was there was because the Catholic Church was so interested in, in advancing growth of knowledge. He didn't say of the world that God made, but that was the idea, right? That uh, He said, as has always been the case, 
the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church has been always interested in the order of nature. I mean, he didn't use the language the historians use, but you could get the same um, uh, him making the same kind of um, argument. And of course, of course, the German sociologist in the 19th century, Max Weber argued that the Protestant work ethic, which was a huge stimulation uh, to scientific endeavor, which was very difficult to be an explorer, to work with dangerous materials. Uh, scientific work is hard. It's very hard to do. And the Protestant work ethic enabled, uh, uh, was a boon to the advance of science because the difficulty of their work could be seen as part of the Christian project. Um, so, um, and there are many other ways in which historians of science have seen um, uh, Christian beliefs as, in fact, advancing the growth of science. It's a good thing that they have done so. Um, so, um, the, the secularist stance, I'm saying, fails to take this into account, right? It fails to look at this way in which, on the one hand, the secularist stance itself is problematic, and on the other hand, religious uh, belief, in fact, has advanced um, the growth of this this secular enterprise, uh, modern science. Um, two, two more uh, problems with the secularist stance briefly. Um, I got into it initially because I was working on indigenous knowledge systems, such as of the Native Canadians and Pacific Island navigators and the Cree goose hunters up in the north of Canada somewhere, um, and looking at their how valuable their work was. I mean, looking at the secondary literature, I'm not an anthropologist, uh, but obviously these people understand their natural environment in all kinds of ways, um, and yet... Uh, the secularist stance of Western science consistently justifies dismissing it as real knowledge because it so often, maybe almost always, is embedded in religious and spiritual uh, beliefs and experiences. And um, fi finally, on the list of problems with the secularist stance here, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, it blocks our recognition um, of uh, no, yeah, I think I didn't mention it. It blocks our recognition um, of women's particular relationship to religion. And I'm not going to go into that here, but in, I could say some things in the question period if you wanted to. Uh, okay, good. Um, so um, so these, are, these are some entry points for rethinking the secular stance. Let me re repeat that I'm not criticizing secularism, right? I'm criticizing a particular way of thinking about it, a particular way of talking about it that fails to, uh, to recognize um, some of the benefits of religious uh, belief and experience to an enterprise like modern Western science, um, and that uh, it makes it difficult to deal in conclusion, I'm going to say, um, with what we mean by a multicultural democracy. What do we mean by a multicultural democracy that can't tolerate Muslims? Right? I mean, it's um, secularism was instituted in the United States government 
so that it, the government would not get involved in disputes between Catholics and Protestants, right, who were escaping the religious wars, the dreadful religious wars of Europe in the early uh, colonial period. They, the U.S. Uh, government was not much concerned about the religious beliefs of Native Americans, of Jews, who there were plenty of settlers who were Jews, and, or certainly of the African slaves that they had brought in. It was the Catholics and Protestants um, that were of concern. And it was a huge struggle to actually get Jews um, represented, so to speak, in uh, U.S. Uh, institutions uh, because anti-Semitism was so prevalent, even certainly through World War II and even after. A very interesting book on that is the one by David Hollinger, who's the uh, a dean at uh, UC Berkeley on science, Jews, and secular culture. He talks about how university culture in the U.S. was fundamentally Protestant. Uh, it was uh, even Catholics could not be permitted into such fields as philosophy and literature, right? Catholics and Jews could be engineers, right, or do these practical things, but they couldn't be allowed into the great legacy learning traditions of the modern West. And it, so for, for Hollinger, Catholics and Jews were the first multiculturalists in the U.S. tradition, right? The first um, uh, uh, non-U.S. non-U.S. culture groups to make be able to make their way into um, the dominant culture. Um, I think we, as I indicated, the issues around Islam are not new. Um, they go back to the Crusades and earlier. Um, but we need to figure out how to respond in a respectful way to the Islamophobic uh, issues as they keep arising around us here and around the world. And I think, don't ask me any, don't ask me to pronounce on Quebec, okay? Because <laughs> I'll tell you right now what I'm going to say. I have nothing to say about it because, A, I know very little about it except, thank, thankfully, I knew, um, alerted me to the fact it was happening. And second, I'm not a Canadian citizen, so who am I to say anything? What I would say is um, how important it is to have respectful public discussions about these kinds of issues um, and how at this new moment in history, something like a new social contract is starting to form between governments and their multicultural citizens. It's not completely new, of course, but we're having to adjust what we mean by multicultural citizenship uh, in kinds of ways that were the case when Jews and Catholics first entered into the major institutions. I don't know if you folks remember what people said when John Kennedy was running for president. I mean, the Catholic phobia. You know, the Pope was going to be deciding U.S. foreign policy, right, according to accounts at the time. Uh, so this uh, phobic response to new groups is certainly not new. Usain Cut? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Hollywood sign, right? Yeah. Uh, um, but it's, it's something very important for us to think about. Thank you.